Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Amen. Amen. Well, you get asked to come the first time, you feel honored and privileged. The second time, you know you didn't mess up. But the third time, welcome, family. It's like, it's like uh, what Andrew is saying. Yeah, what Andrew is saying, trying to just a simple vision of being a friend. It's been an honor and privilege to walk with your uh, pastor these last six years at Solus Church as you guys have launched out. I remember even taking uh, an elder of mine to your guys' vision meeting at the hotel out in Boca uh, before you guys were even gathering on Sundays and just to see what the Lord has done. And the reason I'm so passionate about other leaders and church planners, not only am I one of them, uh, our church is celebrating 10 years this year, but we're better together. And you guys are a great impact to our community. And we need multiple churches that honor God, that teach the word, that are doing this together. And um, so when people come in, uh, we want to have a culture of welcoming people. And that's just not in a greeting time of um, on a service, but also from church to church, from house to house, as you're laboring and living for Jesus, we want to practice that hospitality as a gift from the Lord to love people well. And so it's been awesome getting to know Andrew, even so encouraged by him bringing a team out to, uh, to the fountains, uh, the golf tournament yesterday. Uh, I get to serve as privilege also uh, with a few different things in my life. Not only do I pastor a redemption church in Delray Beach, um, but I'm actually serve on two Christian school boards. Uh, which is very interesting because I was homeschooled my entire life, never went to school, okay, um, until I went to college, and then I got my uh, bachelor's in business, but um, I actually serve on uh, the local board here in our area, Lake Worth Christian School, uh, where my children go to school at, and then I also serve at this ministry called the House of Blessing. It's a ministry to Mexico in a little small town, Bishinaba, Mexico, five hours south of El Paso, and uh, we we had one of my best buddies, we were doing youth ministry together in Washington State. We went to Florida to plant a church, and he went to Mexico to start an orphanage. And after COVID, uh, after caring for over 65 kids in their care and uh, doing things, education was so bad and, and need in that area that they, had, they converted this child uh, orphanage and care home um, and property into a school. And so we thought, okay, maybe we'll have 20 students the first year, which would be last year, um, Word came out, and there was 53 students. This year, uh, they almost doubled to 93 students, and there's another 20 people waiting in line to just be uh, taught the Word of God, education, ministry. And so we had a golf event yesterday, and uh, Lundy brought a team out, and you guys represented Solus Church. I will say this about the golf thing with the scramble. I golf once a year. Your pastor golfs more than that. <laughs> just saying. My team beat his team. That's what I'm saying. Had another pastor friend of mine. Amazing. Okay? Didn't even know what I was doing. I just wanted to contribute, not be a, not be a loser. We totally just an amazing score beat him. But the, the better thing is, is not just the score or the fellowship and the fun time, but we raised almost $12,000 at least yesterday. The numbers are still coming in because it was just last night. Um, but... Uh, for Mexico, that is a huge deal because as we doubled last year, yeah, go ahead, give it up for the Lord. It is important to know your generosity does make a difference for the kingdom. And um, with those funds last year, we raised about 10,000. Uh, the other golf tournament, Washington State, another about 10,000. We actually built a new junior high and high school with those funds. So all the money raised yesterday from Washington State tournament and last weekend, our Yesterday uh, in Florida, about $25,000 is going directly to ministry to literally change children's lives. For $100 a month, these kids can literally have generational impact, learn English, and are hearing the Bible taught every single day in this small town of Bashinava that has 2,500 people with another church. And uh, my friend serves an elder, a pastor, his uncle's the pastor there. They planted there as missionaries. They've sent out churches, and you would never know how the kingdom is working there. But isn't that sort of just like us today? You just never know what God is doing in people's hearts, don't you? You just never know what, what God would do with just a little bit of faith and, and his love. And the kingdom just works in such a beautiful way that 
we can play golf, utilize those funds, and now it impacts families, and it's just so cool. And so I'm, I'm really grateful because sometimes uh, you guys never know what a, a coffee will be for someone or what a, what a meal will be for someone. These things are so important, and I just want to encourage you as you're led by the Spirit, don't be afraid to take a step of faith out, uh, especially the things that you may not feel qualified. Uh, I don't have a seminary degree. I have a business degree. I'm on two Christian educational school boards, and I've never gone to Christian school, okay? So the Lord is not like you and I. We sometimes put him in a box. He just wants people that are willing, that are able, and he wants to increase your faith today. And he wants us to continue to be men and women of the word. And, you know, we, we joke around like, you know, we're going to be in Ephesians till December or Exodus until December and all these messages. But what else do we got going on? The Lord has spoken to us. What else would we do as people of God? So if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John. Because we're not going to go through Ephesians, but we're going to walk through. I know, right? I ain't, I ain't doing Ephesians, man. That's one of the tricks of the pastor. When you invite a guest speaker, uh, either you have to do, go through the book that they're going through, or like he said, he wants to go through spiritual warfare. He needs another week of study. So we're going to go in John, John chapter 6. And it's always an honor to preach God's word with you. And so amazing. John chapter 6. What we'll do is we'll read the text. I'm going to study it through. We're going to read the text, talk about belief, talk about faith, and um, I'll pray, and then we'll get into the word. John chapter 6, starting in verse 16 through 21, it's the story of Jesus walking on water. John says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, it was dark. And Jesus had, yet, uh, had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We pray, God, that as we open your word that you would speak. Spirit of God, we thank you that you're the teacher, the comforter, the one that gives life and helps us in this life. May we, Lord, see more of Jesus today. Lord, we know we have a vision at this church to wrap our lives around Jesus. Jesus is the center of it all. God, would you help us to trust you Right now, even before we even hear what you want to speak to us, God, we have a posture of worship to continue to worship with our minds the study of your word. And we believe, Lord, that you are a God that is alive because you not only died, but you rose again. So you are in the midst of your people. I pray that people would feel your presence. They would know that you're speaking. Lord, there be great comfort and strength. We thank you, Father, for your loving kindness. For those that are hurting and are in pain, Lord, would you touch and would you minister? And would you bless this time of our study? We love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. I remember hearing the house got shot up. It was a drive-by shooting. And there were bullets flying through the house, just spraying it. But it wasn't just concrete or wood that it was going through. It actually went through flesh. Most of my summer days, they were spent at this house um, because my best friend and I, well, we would take refuge in this house. I mean, that's what homes really do, right? They give you a sense of security, a place to stay. And one of the great things about this house, it wasn't our house. It was my best friend's uncle's house. Now, uncles, uncles are great. They're, they're awesome. I mean, we had great parents, but you know how your uncle is. He spoils you. And I wasn't his uncle, but he was my best friend's uncle. And so they took us in, and we would always be there. And it was so incredible. So we hung out there often. But this day, well, on this day when the bullets were flying, by God's grace, I wasn't there. But they were. In fact, I hadn't been in this house for several months now because my friends, well, they rejected me. I'd recently given my life to the Lord, and there was a radical change in my life. I was 17 years old. I saw the love of God in people, and, and I wanted to follow Jesus. 
And I was telling everyone about Jesus, including my friends. But they laughed at me. They rejected me. They didn't want anything to do with this good news that I had found, but they ghosted me. They didn't want to repent. They wanted to keep the lustful lifestyle that they had. They, they wanted to continue to deal the drugs and be in the community of the Hilltop Crips. Those were my best friends. You see, bullets flying for me in my neighborhood growing up in Tacoma, Washington, they were just sort of like faint firecrackers. You just hear them and it's normal, it's culture. But even though I wasn't at the house that day when the bullets flew, the, the impact on my life was greatly because of it. They not only went to the house, but through the flesh and through the leader of the Hilltop Crips, this uncle, my uncle, my house, my best friend's uncle. Not only him, but his girlfriend and their newborn baby. And all three of them didn't make it. These words, they, they hit hard when my friend was telling me over the phone what had taken place. And he was calling me out of courtesy because he told me he knew who had done it, or at least he thought. And they were going to do something about it. But the crazy thing in this moment is my life been changed. They knew it. I knew it. So it was a courtesy call saying, hey, do you want to come with us? We're going but he knew it, and I knew it, and I said no. So more bullets flew in the neighborhood, more blood was shed, and that was my reality. As I reflect on what God has done in my life, I get swelled up with gratitude. And it made me think of Psalm 124, how the Lord wanted the Israelites to sing this song as they would go to Jerusalem to remember the Lord of what he had done in their life. It's a song of ascent. Psalm 124, let me just read it to you so you can just hear it. I don't have the words on the screen if you want in your Bible. But it's something that the Lord, I think, would want us to read and hear today as we talk about this story from John. If, I had not been, if it had not been from the Lord who was on your side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on your side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us up, swept us away, and torment would have gone, gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. But blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth, he, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of fowlers, and the snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I think sometimes we need to remember our story and understand what would it be like if it had not been for the Lord. You ever thought about that? Where would you be today? You see, I share this part of my story because I believe God saved me both spiritually and physically at the right time and the right moment for this reason. I mean, I would have and should have been in that house. And if I wasn't in that house, the way I roll, I would have and should have been in the retaliation if it had not been for the Lord. If it had not been for the Lord, I, I wouldn't have made it out of that community. I wouldn't have said yes to Jesus. I wouldn't have started telling my friends about the gospel. I wouldn't have got so passionate to serve the Lord and teach the Bible and become a pastor at 20 and move out of there and then say yes to the Lord when he called me to Delray Beach, Florida to plant a church and to pastor more people and to share. Like sometimes we forget if it had not been for the Lord, where would I be? I guarantee I wouldn't be talking to any of you. And you probably would never be talking to me. I've changed. Have you? I just want to ask you, what's your God story? Are, are you remembering as you come in here and we're worshiping and honoring God that God is alive and has done things in your life? 
Because the Bible says as people of God, we should give thanks and we should remember. And even this song of ascent and even this story in John is written for an encouragement, for blessing, for faith, and for strength. You have that in you. Because the living word is alive and ministers to you. Having faith in Jesus has blessed me, blessed me and given me life. How has Jesus blessed you lately? What are your stories? Now, I mentioned story in this framework because John, what he's doing in John chapter 6 is giving us a story. And for some of us, it may be a very familiar story of Jesus walking on water. But it's for a specific reason. This is why you need to remember your story and heavy people of faith that tell stories of how Jesus works for a specific reason, and it's to build our faith. We know this because the text of the Gospel of John, the sort of thesis or statement in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, he tells us the reason why he shares everything in this gospel is for these reasons. John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Believe that Jesus is Christ. The reason why this story is here is so that you would believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. God inspired John to write this story, John chapter 6, Jesus walking on water in this way, with these details for our faith so that we would have belief to impact us to reveal Jesus to us, to give us life. John is giving details and telling a story like a movement. And so I have four movements in this story, four points that I want to share with you that it will bless us. And so we pick up the story in verse 16 and 17. We'll read it again. It's not on the screen, but it's in your Bible to get the context. The context of this story, because this story is in the midst of many stories, in the midst of a grand story of redemption through Scripture, And it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got in a boat and started across the Sea of Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, this text is a transitional sentence in what had just had happened. It says, it was evening, or evening came. That day, Jesus and his disciples were on the other Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tarshish, which is in verse 1. It tells us of this story, and they were doing ministry. I mean, a lot of ministry. So much so, a crowd drew. And not just like a small crowd, like a megachurch crowd, a large crowd in the middle of nowhere. The text says in verse 10 of this chapter that there was 5,000 men and women and children. So scholars estimate in this day that Jesus would have preached and ministered to probably 15 to 20,000 minimum people doing ministry, great impact, great work. Thousands of people. In fact, verse 7, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, said about this crowd, listen, if we had 200 denarii worth of bread, man, that wouldn't even be enough for each of them to just get a little bit of bread. So the disciples are tripping out. We got to send these people out. We got to do this. Like, there's a great need. People are hungry. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, I'll meet the need. He actually multiplies five loaves, two fish. So much so that the text says in verse 12, everyone was fully satisfied and they had eaten to their fill. There was even one basket left over for the disciples. Each of them, just a little, little, little reminder, hey, I'm the sustainer. I'm the multiplier. I'm God. I can do this. Don't you love how God gives us little special things in the midst of grand miracles? Aren't you glad that Solus Church gets to just play a little part in the kingdom of God and what God is doing in South Florida and in our world for such a time as this? God knows us individually, and he builds his disciples' faith up in that story. And this is the day that John is talking about when it says, now it's dark. Now it's the evening. This had come. Their day was gave great ministry of great miracles and great kingdom work. And now it was night. The text says it was dark. 
And so the disciples go down to the sea. They got into the boat, and they started to cross the sea to go to Capernaum. And they did this because Jesus had commanded them to do that. Matthew 14, 22 tells us this. Jesus wanted to go back home. It was a long day. It was a lot full of ministry. But it's important to hear this, especially for those that serve in the church and do a lot of kingdom work. Jesus sent them back to Capernaum. Now, if you know the Bible, Capernaum was where Jesus actually lived. Yes, we know Jesus of Nazareth, but the ministry hub of Jesus was Capernaum. Matthew 4.13 says that. In fact, Matthew 9.1 calls this place his own city. He identified with it. He loved it. This town is, is cited in all four Gospels, and it wasn't just his hometown where Jesus was from. It was some of his disciples. The Gospel writers tell us that Matthew, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all from this small town, Capernaum. This ministry hub, it wasn't a large city, though. Remember they had just gone through thousands of people in ministry? No, this place, archaeologists and historians believe that it was almost just about less than 10% of that ministry that day, about 1,500 people in this town. And you read about some of these miracles as you go through other gospels, like Luke chapter 4 and 5. Luke accounts some of the ministry that took place in this little small context or small town. Jesus would teach in the synagogue there. And he would heal a man who was possessed with an unclean spirit. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. You may remember that story. That was in Capernaum. In fact, it was so popular and there was so much ministry going on, a Roman centurion came and asked for Jesus' help in what town? This town, his town, his hometown, Capernaum. Jesus healed the paralytic because when his friends lowered in the roof, he saw the faith and honored that. And so Jesus, in this text, is sending his disciples back to their home. Not with the crowds, but with the individuals to do ministry. It wasn't just supposed to be the crowd, but it was supposed to be the people that they knew. Rather than ministry flowing from their homes. I find it so interesting, the context of this whole story and Jesus going to Capernaum was saying to us, God wants us serving not just in the church or to the crowds, but to the individuals. Don't, don't forget this, parents, that God wants you to do great things in your home, not just with a crowd when we gather on a Sunday morning, but, but how are you serving your wife? How are you serving your husband? Who are the people at your job that you can do, the individuals, the, the, not the crowd, but the, the community that God has placed around you? And so they get in the boat. They realize this is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He just multiplied, did all this different stuff. I'm going to listen to this guy. I'm getting in the boat. But the one thing you notice right away from this text in the context is Jesus is not with him. You realize that, right? Like you read that and you're like, oh, okay. Jesus told them to go, but he's not with him. John says Jesus had not yet come to them. And this is the first movement of our story, or the thing that we see and notice is a mountain. You see, verse 15 gives us this transitional verse. Verse 15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, because people wanted to honor Jesus with the, the ministry and everything happening, they wanted to make him king, but Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus was on a mountain. Matthew 14, 23 says he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. The gospel writer Luke 5, 16, he says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray often. You see, this was a common practice for Jesus. And so this is why they went on the boat without him, because they were used to the rabbi saying and speaking and them obeying and it coming through. Just like our relationship with the Lord. When he speaks, we obey because he's been faithful. He's a faithful God. His love is steadfast and we can trust him. So when he says things, even like, hey, you go there and I have a plan, we can say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust your plan. And so he's on the mountain praying. They go to the boat, to the sea. Mark 135 tells us that he leaves the disciples just to pray. And this would be a constant thing that Jesus would withdraw 
often. He would go to desolate places. He would tell, uh, John would say, uh, he would write, record Jesus saying, oftentimes, I do what my Father tells me to do. And so he would just go to be with God, get the orders, do what God told him to do. The mountain. This is so important for us to understand and to see this movement in the story when it comes to belief and, and blessings of God because too many of us want the miracles of walking on water but don't take time to pray and to be with God. We want to see God move in a mighty work in our church, in our family, in our lives, but we need to see the context of the walking on water story. It was because Jesus prayed often. Many of us struggle with the fear of man, our living for others, not Jesus. The text says they wanted to make him king. He's like, I'm out, just slips away, doesn't live for the approval of man. Why? Because he's living the approval for the Father, because he knew God. He spent time with God. He knew his will. He was spending time in the presence of the Lord. The reason Jesus walked on water and didn't live for the crowd or approval of man, because he prayed. You see, mountain in the Bible represents closeness with God. Remember, I'm going through Exodus and Mount Sinai. Moses received the word of the Lord and was with God many days in his presence, and people knew that. It affected everything. It affected the nation. It even affected Moses' character and demeanor as he glowed in the glory of the Lord shone upon him. You remember Jesus, it would be recorded in Matthew, he went to the Mount of Transfiguration and was with the Lord, and he, he changed. He got changed. Listen, how do we as Christians get changed? We go to the mountain, the Mount of Calvary, where Jesus died for our sin, where we have access to God. The only way that we have access to God in the presence of God is going to Calvary, the cross of Christ, and having Jesus to forgive us of our sins so we can have the Spirit of God and the presence of God to be with God, and now we can boldly Pray before God, having access to mercy and grace. The mountain in the Bible is significant. It's the Mount Zion. It's the presence of God. It's are you understanding this? This is where Jesus started ministry. God, and then there was an overflow. It wasn't just for the crowd or even for the miracles. In fact, some of these writers say Jesus would have just kept on walking on water if it had not, they had not called out to him. He was going to go as if this is just normal life. The mountain is a secure and good place for us to go and to meet with God often. And so Jesus wants us to know, or John wants us to know, that if we want to meet with God as Jesus did on the mountain, our faith will increase. Miracles will take place. Our faith will have works, and it will be lived out. So the question I have for us looking at the story and thinking about faith just in this first movement, the context is, are you taking time to be with Jesus? Are you going to the mountain? Are you enjoying access with God? Spending time with him in prayer and listening and community and in the word. The mountain is significant in this story. But so is the wind. That's the next movement or the next point in this story. Because verse 18 after the context says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Now, it's interesting how the sea was moved by the wind. What would have been a restful and good way of transportation, going on a boat, crossing over to get home, became very difficult. Why? Because of the wind. These were sailors. They could have used the wind to go cross, been easy, rather than going walking all the way around the lake or all the way around the sea. It was supposed to be the easy route. But the text tells us in verse 19, they rode for like three or four miles. Matthew 14 in this story, he says it was the fourth watch. Would have been like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Hours had passed now. And this is not an over-exaggeration to say the wind made their life more difficult in this moment. Could you agree? What should have been easy became hard. Why? Because of the wind. Now what's interesting about the wind in the Bible, is the wind represents the Holy Spirit. Psalm 135.7 tells us that our God controls the wind. And in fact, John has already addressed this and given us cues in John chapter 3 about the wind. John 3.8 says, 
Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who has been born of the Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, has a will and is working to accomplish his purpose and earth. Can I get an amen? The, the wind of God, the purposes of God, the Holy Spirit, the primary agent in this world right now is moving. The kingdom of God is like that. You sow the seed of the gospel. It goes down. You take a nap as a farmer. It's still doing its thing. You don't have to rely all on you. This is so glorious and amazing. And we often say, amen, praise God for this, until we realize the wind also shakes up our plans. The spirit of God, the purposes of God. You see, the disciples, I'm sure they were tired and wanted to get home to relax and to rejuvenate, to get some rest. They were tired. So they would want to control the wind for their purposes to help them easily sail across the sea. But the wind wasn't cooperating in this moment. It was doing its own thing. It was blowing strong against the plans that they had. Matthew 14, 24 says the wind was against them. The wind was going against their easy plans to just sail smooth sailing. God who controls the wind, Psalm 147, 18 tells us, was allowing the disciples to struggle. He controls the wind. And he was allowing them to go through the trial. He wanted them to be in a place of need for these pro-fishermen to be frightened and call out to him. You see, John is including this detail of the wind to show us that we can't control God but he should control us. We can't control God, but he should control us. And that following God doesn't mean you will always have an easy life doing whatever you want, and God is just going to accomplish your plan. No, my friends, we have life and we submit to God and his plans. And sometimes that means a hard life, but it's a good one. The disciples were following Jesus' orders in this text. They were in the will of God, and yet they were going through a trial and a hard time. And this was a part of God's plan to build their faith for them to see Jesus walking on water and to actually see God's glory. If there was no wind, if there was no raging sea, there would be no Jesus in this great miracle and them going. They would have already made it. But because they were in the midst of this trial, suffering, because of the wind, they saw the glory of the Lord. There are times when God works on the mountaintops and they are glorious and amazing. And it's incredible. You have that worship set or that, that Bible teaching or that time with the Lord. And it's just, it's amazing. You're like, God, thank you for the mountaintops. I feel like I'm in your presence. And then there are times when he uses valleys and the wind picks up and it's blowing strong. And these two, my friends, are glorious and amazing. This is why James 1, 2 through 4 says, So count it all with joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God wants our faith to be strong in him, so he uses his spirit to refine us and to strengthen us. He uses the wind. He guides us. And this means we don't always get our way. Because, listen, if I'm real, and I can be real, this is church. I don't got to prove anything to y'all. I'm a sinner. I'm jacked up. I'm broken. My flesh wants the easy route 100% of the time. Like, hands down. Hey, do you want to go the easy way or the hard way? I don't even flinch. There's no praying. I'm going easy route all day long. I get an amen. I ain't the only one, you sinners. I know you all know. You know no one wants the discipline, the hardship, the going through. Let's do, but God knows what's best for us. I know when I just do the easy route, I'm going to not pray as much. I'm not going to have his faith as much. I'm not going to be refined as much. And what does God do? Conforming us because he loves us to the image of his son and everything he can work out all things for his good. So he is going to sometimes allow us to walk through a hard trial 
for our good so we lack nothing, so we can trust him. Because the greatest thing, the best news about the gospel is God himself. He wants us to know him and have intimate times with him and to strengthen our faith. And we have life as Christians when we actually deny our flesh, pick up our cross, and follow him and submit to his will, not the other way around. So much so, did you notice something about this story that's not in the other Gospels? It it bugged me when I was studying this all week long. Where's Peter at? This is the same story where Peter walks on the water. And John's like, I'm not even going to mention that. What? What's going on over here? Like, um, think about this. There is a narrative. There is a story. We already know the thesis, the context of why he's sharing these movements and points to us. And he doesn't mention Peter walking on water. Because John doesn't care. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't even mention it. Because our faith isn't about us. It's about the object of our faith, Jesus. The point is Jesus, not Peter. The point is Jesus, not you. That's the fact. And it's better for us to think that way because we are so self-centered, so in the flesh, so wrapped up. We make our lives around us. But what is this mission and the vision of the church? To wrap our eyes around Jesus. That's where we have the abundant life. But I'd never pick that. But God wants that for us. Our faith is in the person of Jesus. And when we have our faith in him, he receives the glory. We're told in scripture to look to him and his glory. To focus on him. To surrender to him. And so the wind reminds us to believe and trust in the Lord. With all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He'll direct you. He'll give you life. Next we see in verse 19 and 20, the sea. So we have the mountain, we have the wind, but the wind is affecting something conditionally, the sea. It tells us Jesus walked on the sea. When they had rowed for about three or four miles, the text says in verse 19, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, they were frightened. They thought it was a ghost, but Jesus brought clarity as he spoke. Just as we go to the mountain in God's presence and we come to God's word on Sundays and gatherings, God's word brings clarity as he speaks. And so God speaks to the disciples and says to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but I've tried to walk on water. I mean, I just have. When I was, li- I mean, I grew up in the church, so I know the story. John's not tricking me. I know about Peter, okay? All right, Jesus walked on water, that's enough. But I know in the other context, another story, Peter walked on water. So I don't know if you've ever gone and seen those infinity pools. They're just like crystal clear. Or like if you go out in the morning in the ocean, it's just like beautiful. And like, you know, it's that ledge and you just go, Whoosh. you ever do that? I've done that as a kid. I've done that as an adult. I'm not the only, raise your hand if you ever try to walk on water before. See? <laughs> I'm not the only one. You, you, okay, God, you could do great things, and, and Peter walked on water. I'm just going to, I'm just going to test it out. I believe God's the same. He still does miracles. I'm just going to, mm, because I can almost imagine, I can almost picture it. It's so still, so crisp. It's like, mm. Like sometimes magicians put like a little glass on there, and you sort of walk on when they mimic this thing, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it, because I can imagine, I can see it. And so far, not yet, I've never walked on water. Always go down, plunge. It's, it's, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it with my jeans and my cell phone in my pocket. But if I be honest, I have my swimsuit on, I'm trying it, you know. But what I find interesting, and even this story in the church context, John says that Jesus wasn't just walking on water. He was walking on the sea and the waves, and it was raging. There was a strong wind. This is what the text says. And there were great waves, so much so that these experienced fishermen, Matthew says, they were beaten by the waves. They were struggling. It's not like, hey, let's just get a workout and just row for hours. No, they were frightened. Mark chapter 6 verse 48 says uh, they were making headway painfully. So this is not just the infinity pool, my friends. 
This is raging sea, and they were struggling. And it's not that Jesus was just walking on water. He was walking on the raging sea. Great opposition. I mention this because for some of us, we think Jesus can perform miracles that we can imagine and see. Like God's grace, like it's a miracle we all recognize God's grace for us to even breathe right now and be alive. So we give God honor and credit and glory because it's like, well, I can see that. Like he's just been so faithful to give a life. That's a great miracle, but it's of God, right? And that's sort of our common thing. We sort of almost think these miracles are sort of normal because he's so good. But for, for some of us, we struggle to think God can do like crazy hard things like heal someone of cancer or speak in tongues and give an interpretation or a prophetic word or healings because we can't see that miracle. We can almost see the easy miracle of walking on water. We don't see it, the rage. And sometimes we categorize what God and can't do because we're defining miracles. You know, miracles are all hard, right? That's why they're called miracles. I mean, this is what we do and how we categorize things. We tend to think in categories of miracles, and we still, like still water versus raging water. But listen, a miracle is a miracle, and God does all types of miracles. He is the God that meets us in our everyday struggle of life with real needs, and he is greater than any obstacle we will ever face in this life. Now, it doesn't take a lot to study the Bible to know C represents obstacles, opposition, and trials. This is what the disciples are facing. I asked my 16-year-old son, hey, what do you think C represents? Didn't even know the text. He's like, trials. Yeah, because we all face it. We all know. But if you do a little bit more deep, deep digging into Scripture, the C specifically represents evil and spiritual opposition, not just any trial. If you think about the beast in Revelation chapter 13, where was it rising out of? It was rising out of the sea which represents a corrupt system or the worldview. One commentator said about this area, Christ's origin is the realm of heaven, but the beast part of a corrupted system which comes from the sea and the earth. Satan's influence is found in this world system that is over people and nations. Revelation 17, 15 says, the waters you saw where the prostitute is seat, where the prostitute is seated. And they are the peoples and the multitudes and the nations and the language. There is a real reality of evil in this life, especially for the Christian, where First John, he wrote another letter, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, says we actually have opposition against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Things that actually rage against our soul, that try to overwhelm us, and that are real. We're in a spiritual battle. You're going to learn about that in Ephesians chapter 6. And I bring this up because Jesus was walking on the raging sea. Not just any opposition. The spiritual opposition. The thing where every man should have sunk. His foot was on top of it. It didn't have dominion over him. He was above it. He didn't just overcome the elements and the obstacles. The disciples were in fear. His foot was on it. Psalm 89.9 says, you rule the raging sea, and when its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 93.4 says, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord is on high. You see, the sea and spiritual opposition are real. The trials that we face here on earth, they're harmful and do damage. But let me remind you, Jesus is greater than any spiritual opposition. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace so soon, soon crush Satan under your feet. He walks above. He is greater. John wants to remind us by highlighting the sea and showing you Jesus doesn't submit or lose to any opposition we will ever face. He is in a different realm. He is the Lord of lords, and he overcomes, and it is God who even set the boundaries of the sea. So John, in his other letter, talks about this, chapter 2, but even at the end, chapter 5, verse 4, he says, For everyone, although the followers of Jesus, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. When we have faith in Jesus, we overcome as well. Because sin, 
death, Satan is defeated on Christ and the cross of Christ. And we put our faith in him. They are defeated in Jesus. And that's where our spiritual blessing comes from. Our greatest enemies of our soul, Jesus in this story, and John is telling you, you have spiritual victory in him. And this is why Jesus says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Because he knows. I don't know what trial or face you've gone through, but you will be afraid in this life. But you will have great victory and overcome these things as you look to the Lord and his word and claim the promises of God by faith. You will overcome. We are overcomers when we trust Jesus and his precious word. And John wants us to trust Jesus and his word. So he's highlighting Jesus. And I just want to ask you, are you inviting Jesus into your boat? Because that's what the disciples did in this moment. They responded to God's word. Are you doing that? Because when we do that, you and I will be blessed, will overcome. And this is why John jumps something crazy. He just goes straight to the land. Verse 21. Did you see it? Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, the text says, the boat was at the land to which they were going. The land was at a place, the land represented a place of rest, security. It was home. On the land, there was no more dealing with these raging seas and storm. On the land, it was the final destination, the place they wanted to be. And John wants us to know they made it to the land with Jesus in their boat. The land Jesus told them to go to, they arrived. The command from Jesus was to bless them, not to torture them. This was the final destination. Even though it was hard to get them through the storm, the land was the destination. And the disciples, when they had faith and obeyed the Lord, they got in the boat and they made it to the other side. So now John wants us to know the payoff. The crux of the story, this type of faith and belief or obedience the land. And you know what? Jesus has a great promised land for you and I, for all those that put our trust in Jesus as well. A land full of rest, security, where there will be no more trials or even tear and struggle. Our great destination, our home, the dwelling place of God, heaven. Our belief in Jesus is taking us to a great dwelling place. This isn't the final destinations, my friends. We're on this journey and there is raging sea and God is working the wind and doing his plan. We can go to him on the mountain and be with him, but the Lord says we live by faith, not by sight, but there will be a day where we will have sight with him face to face. Now we're living by faith, dealing with storms, but this isn't the end. And I love how John uses the word immediately because it reminds you how temporary these trials are. Didn't the scripture over and over again tell you to keep your eyes on things above? It acknowledges the pain and the suffering and the hurt, but it also says there's also hope. We have faith, hope, and love. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Romans 8.18. He said, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This life is just a vapor. And then we'll give an account to the Lord. And compared to all eternity, this life is so short. So John says, live by faith. John wrote this story of Jesus walking on water with these details to teach us once again to believe. Believe. There's a purpose and point to his stories. He told you that. So I just want to tell you, don't give up. Believe. You have a story. God is working in the midst of it. Believe. Obey and trust Jesus. Believe. Listen, go to the mountains, my friend, and take time to be in the presence of God and believe. Trust the wind and the spirit moving and has a plan in your life, even though you may not see it and it may bring struggle. Believe. Understand the sea is raging, but you can invite Jesus into your situation and your boat right now. Believe. And remember, there will be a great land coming. Remember the hope of heaven. Believe. I believe that God wants to use your story as you are putting your faith in him 
just as John is using this story to testify of others. Because the Bible says we are great witnesses. So share your story with other people. Do it by faith and believe that he who began a good work is able to complete it. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can believe and have faith in you and have this eternal life because of the work that you did on the cross. We want to pause and recognize and believe that and take time, Lord. You say as we gather as your people to, to draw close to you through communion and your grace. And so we thank you, Lord, just how we can come to you in faith and trust that you are moving in the midst of our lives. Lord, that you have the best intentions for us. I pray, God, that those that are in this room that may not know you, that they would believe, that they would repent and turn from their sin. Your word tells us if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and was raised from the dead, we will be saved. God, I pray for those that need salvation today, that they would repent, they would call upon your name, they would invite you into their life, and that you would save. But I also pray, Lord, for those that have put their faith in you, that they would continue to draw from faith to faith, that they would continue to move forward, and you would build their faith, trusting, Lord, that they are trusting in you and the work that you did on the cross and not their performance. In fact, you tell us as Christians that we can confess our sins, and you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we must believe we must go to you and turn once again. That's what we do now as we participate in communion, as we sing songs, as we remember and reflect on these truths. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to increase our faith. Help us, Lord. We believe, but help our unbelief. Spirit of God, do the work. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.